Hello and welcome to the first episode of Working It Out, a new podcast series from Advance. This is episode one. I'm Louise Minchin and I'm going to be joined over the next four episodes by a number of guests who will be sharing their thoughts and insights on the changing world of work as we emerge from the pandemic It is fair to say that the COVID-19 pandemic has influenced the way we work forever. With organisations adapting to working from home overnight, companies having learnt an enormous amount, both good and bad, about how people work, how they collaborate, they learn and develop. So how can we all take what we've learnt into the new world of work? And what is that new world of work? So in this episode, we're looking at the role of leaders, particularly in how they can adapt their approach to the new hybrid model of working And I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Parks. Now, Mike is an author and leadership expert, and he's worked with managers, executives and directors for over 30 years. He's just published his second book. It's called Leading Remotely, and it's based on his experience of working with business leaders responsible for teams all over the world. Hello, Mike, and welcome to this episode, which is called Leading in the Hybrid World, and you couldn't be better placed to talk about it. So um, first up, as a leader, how are you? Uh, yeah, uh, I've had to uh, adapt pretty radically because I spent most of uh, my time travelling the globe uh, in 2019. And now I'm travelling the globe from what I call the Global Leadership Centre, which is actually the kitchen. So um, so I'm in and out of various countries at different stages throughout the day. It is very much, and we've talked about this before we did this podcast about life down a lens. There have been huge changes So do you want to give us an overview of your thoughts and what it means particularly for leaders? Yeah, I think there's, uh, I'd say, I'd start with, um, for many people have been thrust into this situation, as you said, Louise, uh, and it's very much, they've been moved from doing leadership, I would call leadership under your nose, where you're there and you can intervene, you can spot things, you can help and support, you're on hand to help your teams, to having to do it from afar. Now, Actually, this isn't new. And the reason, uh, just to put a bit of context around the book, the reason uh, I wrote the book wasn't because the pandemic started and I needed to, I wanted to do something. I was, right, I was writing it five years ago and it was based on work we'd done for previous 15 years. And what we found was initially with single site leaders, so many struggled when they transitioned to running a number of sites or multi-sites. And that moved then on from running multi-sites to running regions, divisions, countries, continents and across the globe. So although for many people, the pandemic has meant leading remotely is a new thing, for quite a few, they've been doing it for an awful long time. And you talk about multiple sites. I mean, these are kitchens, they're um, bedrooms. I mean, it's extraordinary. Well, they might well be now, but they yeah. would have been in the past. They would have been lots of stores uh, lots of uh, office pa- places across the globe, but for many people now, uh, it's uh, it's actually you know working out of three rooms: bedroom, living room, and the and the kitchen. Yeah, and around everybody else who happens to be in that site who's not actually perhaps working. There's been that dilemma of people grappling with fighting for the Wi-Fi, fighting for the uh, access to various things. So certainly uh, very challenging, as we all know. Um, so what, I mean, there's so many huge challenges. What, in your view, are the biggest challenges in leading remotely? And then we'll go on in a minute to talk about what makes a good remote leader. So the challenges first. Yeah, I think, that the, I think the challenges are the fact that 
Um, if it's remote, once you've, you're not in contact with them, you don't really know what's happening. You can't be constantly checking and actually monitoring what's happened. In, in an office-based environment or somewhere close, you can actually spend time. You'll pick up on things. You'll stumble across stuff. You'll actually hear things from your colleagues. But in the virtual world, you're not stumbling across things with your colleagues. You're not aware of what's happening. So often you're only finding out things when they've become a problem, maybe hours, weeks, days, months later. So there's something here about how close you are to it. So what are your processes and practices you put in place to help you do that? Mm. I think there's some underlying sort of skills that that requires. It means fundamentally clarity of direction becomes fundamental in, in the virtual world. Now, people would say that's true in the physical world, but more so, do people really clear on the priorities and where they're heading? Are they really clear about what's required? Not every list of tasks, but clarity of where we're heading. And I do think businesses do bombard and swamp people with so much. They can't see Woodford trees at times. There is so much that they're trying to do they can't see what really makes a difference so clarity direction the first thing um what about i mean we're talking now and we're doing exactly what you know we've all been doing for the last 18 months we're talking over a screen what about that personal connection um from leaders and how do they get that and how important is that yeah i mean i i've from what i've talked uh having spoken to not just leaders across the globe but in, in individuals across the globe they've been quite surprised at how engaging some of their leaders have been i will say with a wry smile because they certainly weren't that engaging beforehand so i think there's been more of an effort effort made people have been more conscious of actually been attending to people's needs and concerns in, in fact the way I describe it, uh, it's not been so much about managing people to get things done during the pandemic. What people have been doing is helping them manage their concerns and worries, helping them to manage their own concerns and worries in order to get things done. So I think there's been a big focus on uh, how people are handled, how they handle it, being more conscious. And your point around, well, it's all down a lens, is actually trying to make it more informal as well as much as they can. Is that a good thing, the informality? I think there's two levels to it. So I've certainly seen leaders who formalised, you know, regular catch-up meetings, regular things. But I've also know the benefit of doing informal ones. So what I mean by that is I would often quickly send a quick WhatsApp to my colleagues. Are you around at all today for a quick coffee? A quick coffee would mean let's have an informal conversation. I'm sure there are things I want to talk about, but it says that informality. So there's something here about... Yes, we've got regular meetings. People have put in that. They do regular checking one-to-ones to compensate for the fact they're not together. But there's something about the informality that's been missing throughout this whole period, uh, the informality of bumping into each other. So it's the sort of walking the floor, but you're doing walking the floor virtually. Yeah, so what are your tips to people, to leaders who are doing that? I think part of it is recognising that when you're trying to connect down the lens is actually the informality of how much data you get about where they're at and what's happening for them. Recognising that you cannot solve problems, very rarely can you solve problems for them. You need to equip them to solve their own problems. So your role really is unpacking their mindset, their perspectives, the way they're seeing the world because only then can you help them solve their own problems. And I think that's one of the big differences for working remotely is you're trying to get people to solve their own issues and take their own decisions rather than doing it for them. Right. Let's, um, so there's, there's various different sort of timeframes to look at here, aren't there? Because there's pre-pandemic, and you've already mentioned a lot of people were actually working in a hybrid model on lots of different levels. There's 
what's happened in the sort of height of the pandemic in the you know really strict lockdown and then looking forward to post pandemic so there are real differences between those different time frames aren't there yeah i think uh Certainly, um, okay, the pre-stuff, it, it was down the lens for some people, but it was it also, it was visits. It was actually visiting areas, visiting countries. And then constantly while they're doing that, how do they make sure that they equip people to make their own decisions? As we moved into the pandemic period, and every, not everybody, but a lot of people are thrust to working remotely. People are at home. There's all the challenges of people's um, health, well-being, focus, priorities. And then now as we move to the hybrid situation going forward actually people are thinking ah it's getting back to uh, more of a normality actually leaders are finding it tougher because they've got the when everybody was remote well at least we all knew everybody was down the lens now we're going to have some in some out how do you manage that how do you handle the differences um let's talk we'll talk about that hybrid um, in a second because there will be so many different ways of doing it uh, weren't they and you know just one example um google for example and that, there's so many different announcements from different companies and um, they announced its model back in may where they're saying around 60 percent of employees would come together in the office a few days every week another 20 percent would work at new office locations the re- remaining 20 percent work from home and also developing more remote roles i mean that's just one example and presumably every single company will have a slightly different version yeah and there's been some as you 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 mentioned google i know deloitte have said everybody can work from home going forward but then you've equally got some of the banks i think uh, david solomon and goldman sachs said no it's not for us everybody in um i think the other amusing one for me was uh, reed hastings of uh, ceo of netflix said he hadn't seen any tangible benefits from people working remotely and i was thinking "I, i think their subscriptions might have gone up um, but there may not have been a bit of a uh, a gap between his perspective on what was successful. So there are lots happening. Um, and also we've had the uh, Tim Cook uh, email from uh, CEO of Apple where he'd said uh, we can have three days in the office. And I think uh, he specified which days they would be, which causes some sort of consternation. So I think there's there's lots of different responses. And I think this is what uh, leaders are grappling with. They're grappling with what is the answer. And there isn't going to be a one-size-fits-all, unfortunately, going forward. It, I think the challenge is about actually what does it, what works for our part of the business. And that was going to be exactly my question because, it, as you say, it's going to be different for everyone. So what kind of things do you think leaders should be focusing on? I think that the key things here is so it isn't going to be our businesses doing that. I think it would be very hard to have one way of doing it. What it will require is very mature leadership, mature leadership, at a local level to have proper conversations with individuals and teams about what we need and what, you know, what their, what their individual needs are and in terms of their productivity engagement. Also, what's the business trying to achieve? And therefore, for our team, what is the right way forward? So that could be to do with we all need to be in at a certain time or we, we all need to be on a certain day to allow collaboration, to allow ideas, to allow problem solving. Because what we know in the virtual world is collaboration has been very difficult. Lots of fit people have come together. Yes, they have done things virtually when there's a need, but the, but the over the sort of water cooler conversations haven't taken place. Opportunities have been missed between departments and functions. Therefore, some of the natural things that happen in the business world where you find out stuff and then think, ah, oh, there's a connection here, isn't been happening. So I think the challenge is actually for leaders is reaching agreement around what that is. And it isn't... Uh, one thing I am sure about, it's not about manager preference. It's about business need 
and people's needs merging together. And there's going to have to be some give and take around it all. Otherwise, we lose the benefit of what's happened throughout this whole pandemic. It's so interesting, isn't it? And has that that dynamic there been changed then really fundamentally? You know, and you talk about people's needs in that sentence. Yeah, I was uh, asked to do an article re- uh, recently from one of the national newspapers around that very thing. And I didn't actually say that as my headline, but it was uh, workers won't, the, the headline that the, the paper chose was workers won't give up their rights easily. I was thinking it's not quite a right, it's a, it's a way of working. And I think there has been a number of discussions that actually most people's place of work is normally stated in their contracts. Therefore, contractually, they are required to do it you know, to be wherever that place of work is. So I can see coming forward, there will be some situations where it will get um, become legal. But I, I don't think, you know, for most leaders, it will be about sitting down with their teams uh, and actually working it through. And they'll know the people, you know, as they always do, who are going to be easy to work with and those that are more difficult. Well, that would be on any subject. So it is about how do they actually sit down and work it through within the context of whatever the company have sort of, uh, are suggesting. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. The reason, these are really knotty issues for every company, aren't they? And for every leader. You're absolutely right. In fact, I think it's tougher now than actually going into the pandemic. It was tough in the pandemic because businesses had to unravel the way they're doing things, change the way they operated, and leaders had to adjust. But now we're going to go through a thing where there's more grey, I think. There's no easy answers, and it'll be about... And, and what's agreed to start with might need reviewing. Um, or it might be different every month. Uh, there's something here about it be very transient, very evolving, and people learning from it. Um, so let's look at some uh, research that advanced, and I know you've seen this um, recently carried out um, into productivity, because that is obviously key for so many people, um, looking at how the last year has affected output, employee output. And they ask leaders, um, since your team's been working from home for the last 12 months, how much more time have you been spending on ensuring your staff are engaged and productive? Over 54% said they spent 50% or more time with their team, distracting them from other tasks. So what's in so many different things to pick about that, but that's it's a significant investment time for managers, isn't it? How is that sustainable? And if presumably they have other things to do. I, I find it, I, I did see that. And, and I actually, from the conversations I've had, people are feeling more productive. I thought it was quite amusing that managers were saying they're having to put more that. But I think that's the role of a manager, isn't it? Isn't the role of a manager helping people be more productive and helping them be engaged? Or is it just task allocation in some piece? So I think there is something here about they might be spending more. Maybe I think they're more conscious of how much more effort they're having to put in, I think, because what they might naturally do in the workplace, they may be less conscious about. But having to do it in the virtual world has meant they're having to think about it more. They're having to think about people more. They're not, they're not around them. So I think there's a more of a consciousness around it. Um, it's quite interesting what you say, though, about, you know, they're, they're feeling that way. I, I I spoke to a CEO a while ago and, and he said he's, he felt his teams were definitely more productive. And I said, well, why was that then? He said, well, uh, they're able to focus and get on with things. But also there aren't people like me wandering around asking questions, causing all kinds of hairs starting to run that we never intended to happen in the first place. And people just by one director mentioning something, everybody starts creating loads of work. And he said, that's not happening. There's a real focus. Uh, there's a real clarity of it. 
So if you're on your own working remotely, you can actually be left. Are you saying get, be left to get on with it, which is more productive? I think that I think his view was they're able to be not disrupted um, around it. That said, you know what it does require, and this is where the difficulties and problems come for people. Some people are more suited to doing that than others, undoubtedly, or, or we've all got different thresholds. There's plenty of times where I'll be happy to sit away working around something for a couple of days. But equally, I do have a social, <laughs> I do have sociability. I do want to mix with others. I do want to, so there's, and we've got different levels to that. So what it does require though is for leaders to start to help individuals manage themselves. And what I mean by that is how they prioritize, how they organize, how they focus, how they don't let other people distract them. And I don't mean family around them. I, what I really mean is about all the different things get thrown at them by businesses. So there's, there's something here about helping them become self-standing. And that's the role very much of what leaders are about is actually how are you, what you're doing with your teams to help them stand up on their own two feet. And if you do that, that's going to help your, your business, your company, isn't it? Hugely. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating as well, Louise, because a lot of people said to me when the pandemic started, their businesses had to, had to be really moved quickly to survive. So they took out a lot of stuff that really was, they, they describe it as flushing away all the unnecessary reports, spreadsheets and all those things to get back to what do we really need to do to survive? There was a real sense of urging to survive. And actually businesses became slicker, faster moving and much easier. So people talk to me about the, the decision tree. It was no longer going up the hierarchy with two levels and that was it done. People making decisions, making things happen. But unfortunately, a lot of people have said to me, as things have steadied down, a lot of those, uh, that sort of wealth and swathe of workload has started to creep, come back in again. So I think one of the big issues for leaders is, can you be really clear about what makes a difference? Can you be really clear about what the priorities are that are really moving the business on. Because I think a lot of things that go on in business have gone on forever, but actually don't contribute to success, don't actually contribute to the real um, output of the organisation. They've just been put in place over periods of time and never tested. So two things I've picked up from what you're saying there, um, that it made people lean, didn't it? You know, that kind of shaving down of levels of management. And so, so that's a good thing. And how then, and you've sort of intimated a little bit there, do you hold on to the good bits? Because things do return, don't they? they yeah, I, I actually think it's, it's, it's been tough, but it's something about um, quite a lot of businesses have been taking stock on what we were doing then and what we're doing now. And actually, can we learn from that? But there's all, there was a reason for doing some of the things in the past, but are they really necessary? Are they really adding value? And a lot of things get into being routine. So I think for a lot of businesses, they've actually started to question what we need. Why are we doing it? I mean, I'm talking about their working practices. You'll have read about so many businesses are questioning, well, what do we need from a, uh, a premises point of view, an office point of view, if we're going to be moving into something that's you know, remote, perhaps we don't need such a, a magnitude of uh, expansive and expensive offices. So those are tangible things, but many of the things are the working practices that have all the gluey ones, the treacly ones have started to creep back in again. And that's what I would say to your listeners. Just check how many things really contribute to success. What's the treacle? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also, I mean, extensive reporting in the media, and you've, you've touched on a little bit this already, about um, imp the impact on employee health and well-being. I mean, it's no doubt there has been, the change has been a really, you know, 
a big thing for people. So how do leaders sustain and maintain a resilient workforce? Um, and, you know, that con- you know, that really being conscious about well-being and the big changes people have been through. Yeah, so there's there's a few things here. Now, I mean, that's a massive area and there's a lot about it. But I'll, what, one thing I'll just add first to that before is, is and I, I think you, you mentioned it earlier, but I didn't really talk about it, was the engagement piece, because I think the two things are linked. If If you're doing things that people are stimulated and engaged with, then you you have you know and that might mean um them leading things themselves then working with colleagues even in the virtual world putting teams together to do stuff together so there's interactions that are going on so actually their interactions aren't just between you and them there's something there and this is quite important in around the health and well-being the more that people are linked to others the more opportunities there are to get different perspectives on things the more they have casual conversations, the more we have a more stable situation. I think the difficulties around there, for some, around the, the health and well-being has been the isolatory nature of it. And with that has come a lot of people in their own minds, stuff whirring away. And the reality is in the workplace, people get different perspectives on things. And people are there can correct it. And I don't mean you're right or wrong. I just mean somebody can get a different view from a colleague. And that might move their thinking. It might move their perspective. Unfortunately, in the virtual world, that doesn't happen because it tends to be formalized interactions. I've got a meeting with you, Louise. We're talking about that. Yeah. And and, and I can have stuff in my mind whirring away and there's no correction process unless I'm conscious around it. So what do leaders do about that? I, I think the danger for leaders is they see it as solely their responsibility and they have got a massive responsibility to how is my team doing is, is definitely, I mean, the care and concern for how my team's doing. But it's also what is the leader doing to put rhythm and routines in place which encourage their team members to spend time with each other doing things? How often are they working jointly on stuff? How often are they sharing projects? How often are they doing stuff on behalf of the rest of the team, which will encourage wider collaboration? Now, going into the hybrid world, yes, there'll be more opportunities to do that, providing you've set up in a way to allow people to be get to be in together. So you encourage those things to happen. I think the other thing you said about what the you know the health and well-being, the other big cause of it is linked back to what I said before, which is really people's workload and actually getting swamped by so much stuff. And I think there's something here about how leaders, as I said earlier, are really help, help people to unpack that and, and work out what the priorities are. Um, I, I have a sort of common um, thing when I talk to leaders about that key performance indicators, KPIs. And um, I say, how many have you got? And uh, I say, and they say, oh, we've got, I don't know, 20, 30 KPIs. And I, and I say, oh, that's interesting. Have you got any PIs, performance indicators? And I say, what are those then? Well, I said, if you've got some key ones, you must have some that aren't key. Oh, no, not in ours. We, everything's important. Not everything can be. Can, can leaders narrow it down to four or five things that we really focus on? And that is the skill of leadership, I think, is actually narrowing things down, not making them bigger. It's easy to swamp people and mm. make things bigger by not, you know, rather than actually saying, no, we're about this and this is what we're going after. And I think that's had a big impact on people's health and well-being, trying to achieve too much. Well, I mean, there's also that thing about, you know, you don't do your commute, you don't switch off at any point. But, I mean, that goes for leaders and people who work it. It goes for everybody, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that commute for many people was the reorientation into work and the switch off 
coming home or the chance to do those catch up calls for some people. Um, or if they're on trains, it was just, it was signaling the end of the day. And I think in the early stage, I saw a lot of people doing a lot of the fitness stuff and yeah, I'm doing, the, I'm going to do the home gym and all the rest of it. But I think that waned for many, some sustained it, but, and all I've seen in many cases is people just starting their working day even earlier. So if they used to get up and start on the road at seven, they're now on. And, and I think there's also been a few leaders taking advantage, I would say. Uh, I'm not saying lots, but expectations seems to have grown that the working day has got longer um, for some, not not for many, I hasten to add, but for some. Yeah, and and that's tricky, isn't it? Because there is no, there's no switch off button in the same way there was. No, it's, uh, you know, you're stuck in that environment and, it, and, and it's 24 hour access. And I think that's one of the things you, the report talked about was the amount no, of notifications people are getting, uh, causing people not, you know, not able to switch off from it all. Um, can we talk particularly just um, before we end the podcast um, about the younger generation? Because so many, you know, there have been many thousands of young people who have started their working life um, in this environment. And that how how has that impacted and how can leaders help them, do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's it's... I think there's there's two sides to it. It definitely means, I mean, I know uh, interns who've done a year in uh, in work and all they've done is done it from home and they've missed so many experiences with that in terms of the opportunity to see what goes on in, sometimes it's not helpful what they see what goes on in the office, but I think plenty of things that they can learn from each other and actually understand how people operate and, and how things happen and get those insights to bring back to their studies. On the other side, and I think that's a massive miss. On the other side of it, I, I've seen them be so adept and so able to uh, adjust to it and do it, which you're not, I'm not surprised about. And it seemed not that, you know, they've been ahead of the time sort of thing. So, yes, they've missed out massively on the experiences of some of those things uh, and are at the moment, but actually equally have demonstrated an awful lot of adeptness and skill to do some of those things. And I'm not necessarily talking about those in the school age. That's a slightly different thing. Uh, there's been massive misses there. Um and uh, incredibly frustrating for everybody. But certainly going into a working environment. And so leaders could learn, actually, from that sort of adaptability and fluidity, could they? What we know with the uh, sort of the younger generation around it all is about their versatility around uh, technology and the like. So I'm not talking about turning, I'm just talking about turning Zoom on and off. I'm actually talking about all the other things that come with that and their versatility around it and adaptability to it, which, which really the pandemic has forced um, well, my best way of describing it is more experienced leaders to upskill. <laughs> yeah, um, we we have heard the phrase, haven't we? Build back better. So, how do you think leading hybrid organisations are using COVID nineteen as an opportunity to reimagine the future of work to increase competitive advantage? Because there will be some companies who are doing this exceptionally. What it's done is really challenged mindsets around what's possible and what's not possible. I think lots of deeply held views by biz by organisations, businesses, was we can only do it certain ways. And I think the Build Back Better has actually challenged the whole thing, really. It's actually said, actually, we can work remotely, um, but it's not an either or, it's an and, I would say. Um, I think the other things about it, and we're seeing this quite readily, is that it's the flexibility is giving people access to talent they never had before. They're accessing talent across a wider spectrum. If you had an office base that was in a particular place, there's a limit to how, you know, who would want to travel to that particular location. You've now got the talent opportunities, which are not just locally or even within countries. So I think there's something real 
for some businesses, they've really adapted to that and seen the benefits of it. Um, I think there's also the whole things we talked about, the office environment. Are they going to change dramatically to become hubs, I think? I think they're going to be places of where you come to collaborate, you work on things together, you create things. I think the days of formalized desks will be questioned. And I think in reality, um, I spoke to a director the other week and they said that was the first time they'd been able to go back into the office. And they said it was the first time. They didn't do any work. They spent the day catching up with everybody and came home to do their work. I, I don't think that's going to be the norm throughout, but I certainly think it will be a different focus. The office environment will be somewhere where you work together, collaborate, generate ideas rather than transact with your PC or whatever. Um, do you think there's a sense then um, that we've sort of forward winded into a, a place of where we are with our working lives that actually we would may, maybe have come to, but the pandemic, this is what sort of made it happen. I, undoubtedly, I think lots of businesses have been dragged kicking and screaming into a new way of working, uh, undoubtedly. Whether we'd have got there, I don't know. I think, I, I think for a lot of businesses, there were too many deeply ingrained views on how work was done. And I think it really has challenged what's possible and what's not possible. So I think lots of things have been thrown in the air and they've been forced in order to survive, the businesses to survive, they've had to change pretty radically. I do hear some statements from some places where I see, I think at times you might not have the most enlightened and we've seen those in the press and in, in, in the media. But I think it's becoming pretty f uh, clear that actually things aren't going to be as they were. And they can't be. They shouldn't be going forward. We need to capitalise on what happens. Um, and just to that last point, so capitalising on what's happened. Um, so leaders listening to this, and thank you everybody who has listened, um, looking at this hybrid world, what kind of key takeaways um, do you think they should should have going forward? I think the key things are about, uh, in terms of taking it forward is about how do we collaborate? How do we create things together? What are our ways of working? What are our rules of engagement that's going to work really well here? How can we capitalize on your productivity, engagement, stimulation? And if people don't do that, I know in the report it said people could well vote with their feet. I, I, des I describe it slightly differently. They'll vote with their laptop um, because they'll just move their virtual worlds to somebody else's virtual world if people don't do it. So I think it's really, really important that people embrace it. But equally, it's not a free-for-all. It's not, our oh, fancy doing this, doing that. It's about what's the right thing for every single location, for every single team. And it might be this team has particular rules which are very different from the team next to us. And that has to reflect the business needs and the individual needs around it. And that's one of the challenges that leaders are going to have with their peers. And how valuable would time spent on those questions be to competitive advantage to your company doing well? I think they're fundamental because basically um, whatever company it is, it requires individuals to be on top of their game, to be high performing. In order to be high performing, you want them to be engaged, excited and really committed to what's going on. And that comes from having that balance. I think the pandemic has raised for all the ways in which people work. I also think it's it's been it's challenged a few mindsets for individuals around actually their work-life balance and, and the whole thing about what that means. And suddenly people have had a taste for some of this stuff and actually think, actually, I quite like this. So I think people's priorities have started to be challenged as well. Listen, it's been really good to talk to you. Have your priorities uh, changed? Um, I think I'm, I, I can't see myself travelling the globe too readily. And that's not to do with health and all the rest of it. I think it's... Uh, 
I think I'm more, I'll be more uh, selective if I do do it now. So I think definitely I'm looking to get balanced. Along so Louise, I'm a, I think I'm a few years older than you. Um, I think I'm getting towards that period where it might be my time to pass on to others uh, and, and start <laughs> doing other stuff. And I won't get into what those other things are, but hopefully outside and getting some fresh air with maybe a club in my hand. Oh, I was wondering what it might be. Well, um, you know, I echo that feeling as anybody who's watched me uh, recently will know. Um, Mike Parks, it's really been fantastic to speak to you. Thank you so much for your insight. Um, his second book is called Leading Remotely. You can get lots more information there. Um, I think there's so many things to take away from that. But Mike, thank you very much. It's been good to meet you down the lens. You know, this would, would not have been possible 18 months ago. Wouldn't even thought about doing it. So thank you so much for your time. Many thanks to our first guest here. And just to let you know that next time we will be talking about the great productivity debate. Until then, thank you for listening. Goodbye.